Praise the Lord, everyone. Again, we want to welcome you to our service today. And we praise God for each and every one of you here. And again, we wanted to let you know that it would not be the same without you. And we thank you so much for logging on and being with us on today. Let's go to the word, shall we? Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered and said, It is well. Now, my brothers and sisters, turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 9, where it reads, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, there is one thing that as a husband and a father that I have never come to doubt, and that is the love the connection that a mother has with and for her child. The relationship and the connection between a mother and a child is very special. It was the late Brandon Lee that once said, mother is the name for God on the lips of every child. A child means the world to its mother and the mother means the world to her child. It is she who first protects and nourishes and gives love to her child, gives him love and care. It is she who sacrifices many things in life to give the best to her children. Not diminishing the role of fathers as I am a father myself, but the most common word cried on the battlefield by dying soldiers is the word mama. I know from experience that there is something about a mother's love and concern for her children that can sometimes move her out of her rational mind, especially that first-time mother. It will have her make her child wear a big coat in warm weather so he doesn't catch a cold. It will have her about to turn the doctor's office upside down because they gave her baby a shot and he cried. It will have her wanting to spank other people's kids if they mess with her child. We've all heard the urban legends of how a mother fueled by desperation and adrenaline was able to lift a car off of her child and free them from a burning wreckage. I have known of women that never recovered from the loss of a child. Women who, even though they were in their senior years, were never able to escape the pain of a child lost in their youth. Or women who didn't make it to old age simply because they died of a broken heart over that lost child. It is a pain that I, as a man, will never know, and I hope to never feel as a parent. 
I don't know if it is self-hatred or hopelessness or extreme selfishness or mental illness that would make a woman leave her own child in a dumpster, thrown away like garbage, or even drown her child in a bathtub. We as men usually never pause to think about Eve's pain at losing her son Abel or the fact that it was her other son Cain that killed him. That her pain at losing one child was only exacerbated by the fact that the other child was cursed and sent away, presumably never to be seen by her again. You see, Eve loved both her sons dearly and ultimately, she lost both of them. We as men never usually pause to think about the pain of the two young mothers in 1 Kings 3 and 16 that approached the King Solomon for the life of a young baby boy. We usually don't think about the horror and pain felt by one of the young mothers who in her affection for her child ended up smothering him as she slept and held him too close to her. She snuck into the room of her housemate and tried to steal her friend's child and raise it as her own. We usually never pause to consider the horror of the real mother as Solomon the wise king commands one of his child captains to cut the child in half. As men, we rarely stop to consider the anguish of the two mothers in 2 Kings 2, 6 and 28 that had decided to eat their two babies when their city was under siege and there was no food. They decided to eat one woman's baby on one day and they would eat another woman's baby on the next day. As a man, I could never imagine the hell that that mother had to have gone through as she boiled, divided, and ate her own child to survive. I could never imagine the pain and anger that she must have felt as her former friend hid her own baby so he wouldn't have to be killed and eaten when it was his turn to die. We kind of gloss over that story and never even stop to consider the pain and the anguish of these two women. Now, even though that story has a happy ending, as we usually tell it for the rest of the city, those two young women were never the same. I think of Hagar running away to cover her ears in anguish so that she wouldn't have to listen to the cries of a young Ishmael as he suffered thirst and starvation. I think of her pain and desperation as she looked to the sky, young single mother, just put out of her home, her community, as she wondered what she was going to do. I think of a young Virgin Mary, close to 13 or 14 years old, the love that she must have felt as she looked down at her newborn baby boy, the Messiah, just a few weeks old. I try to imagine her pain at Jesus' crucifixion. She had to have been only around 46 years old by then. I try to imagine her fear her doubt and confusion and joy as she hears of his resurrection. Did Jesus ever go see his mother as a resurrected Lord? Did he at least go to see his mama after he rose from the dead? Now, most of us know the story of Job. 
about when one day Satan was among the sons of God as they were reporting to the Almighty and how God boasted on the righteousness of his servant Job. And Satan challenged God to remove the hedge of protection that he had placed around Job's life. See what happens when you take your hand of safety and provision off of Job's life and watch him curse you, Satan said. And in one day, Job lost all of his possessions and all of his children. Soon after, he is stricken with a deadly, painful disease. At his lowest point, when he is at his saddest moment, his darkest hour, and in the greatest amount of pain that he has ever felt, his wife speaks the words of the second part of our text to him. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, this is the only statement attributed to Job's wife in the entire Bible. The only words preserved out of time and history from her. You'll hear talk of Job's mean old wife, but how would you like to be identified and judged for all eternity by one sentence that you spoke at the lowest, most painful point in your life? Even her husband Job cursed the day he was born in chapter 3. But as, I, as I've thought about the words that Job's wife spoke to him as he was lying on what seemed to be his deathbed, it occurred to me that because of her words to Job, we don't give her the same sympathy as we would another woman that had just lost all of her children. In Jeremiah 31 and 15 and in Matthew 2 and 18, it says a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they were no more. You see, we sympathize with Rachel in these scriptures, but we have never allowed Job's wife to feel the same pain. We seem to forget that those were also her children that died and that she didn't love them any less than any of us love our children. They were the same children that she carried in her womb. The same ones that she used to give a bath to and put too much oil and lotion on their face. The same children that she used to pick out and lay out the clothes and wipe the food off of their faces. The same children that she used to fix their hair and nurse back from colds and sickness. How do you measure the pain that a mother feels when her children are in pain? How do you measure the hope that she feels when she looks at them and wishes that she, through sheer force of will, could protect them from everything that could harm them? How do you measure the pain of a mother that has lost all of her children at once? And it wasn't like today where a woman has a choice on whether she wants to be a mother or not. No deciding between family or career. Not at this time. Job's wife lost everything that by ancient cultural standards made her complete, that made her a woman. And you see, we really don't know what happened to Job's wife. Nothing is mentioned about her except telling Job 
to curse God and die. You can look and the Bible really doesn't tell us what actually happened to her. The next thing we hear about Joe being married is that all that he had lost had been restored. But what happened to her? It actually never says that he got a new wife. Since divorce wasn't too nice to women in the Old Testament and in the ancient world, we can only surmise that she possibly descended into a darkness that she could not recover from and that she took the advice that she gave to Job and she cursed God and died of her broken heart. But we don't know. Now, I don't believe that most of us would ever try to curse God. That's simply the height of insanity. But there are those of us that still live with the pain and the bitterness that life has given to us. And even though you might not have gone through that same tragic and traumatic experience, if you are alive, at some point in time, you're going to feel pain. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. You pray to God for the healing of your father, of your mother, or some other close relative, and they still died. You prayed about that job, and you still didn't get it. You prayed for God to save your marriage, and it still ended. They still foreclosed on your house. You've prayed that God would save your son, or your daughter, or your wife, or your husband, and things still seem to be getting worse. You've prayed that God would bless you with a spouse, and you're still single. You've prayed to God and things haven't worked out, and it hurts. And you want to know why. Why are we made to feel pain? To tell you the truth, an answer really hasn't been given. The closest thing to this question being asked in the scripture was when Job asked God why he went through all of that pain he went through. And, well, that didn't go very well. First Corinthians 13 and 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. We are not told why. We are just told to trust and believe. So one thing that we can agree upon for certain is that at one point in time in your life or another, whether you believe in God or not, you're going to grow through something. The question quickly becomes, how do you deal with the situations that make pain inevitable? How are we to deal when life brings tragedy to us personally, when the unspeakable happens? Which is the title of our sermon in our time today, when the unspeakable happens. The first verse of our text tells the response of a young lady whom we've come to know as the Shunammite woman. We don't know much about her except to say that she loved the Lord and sought to support the work and the ministry of the Lord and the ministry of his prophet. She asked her husband to build a room for the man of God so that he would have a place to stay whenever he was in the area. Her husband agreed and the prophet Elisha, 
who was so appreciative that he said that he would grant her any request she had, being he had a close relationship with the king. See, she said that she didn't desire anything of the prophet or the king. Elisha's assistant Gehazi reminded him that she did not have a son, which is important because as a woman aged and eventually became a widow in this time, it would be her son that would take care of her. So Elisha told this Shunammite woman who was barren and could not have children that she was going to have a son. She said, don't play with me. I can't have children. But she ended up getting a blessing that even she didn't even ask for. If you love the Lord, he'll sometimes bless you when you're not even asking for it. Oh, somebody praise the Lord and say hallelujah on that note. So all of a sudden, this woman who had resigned herself to never being a mother soon had a child, a baby boy. Everything a mother feels for her child, she felt for this baby boy, carrying him for nine months, birthing him into the world, the pain of labor and childbirth, no epidural, caring for him, nursing him, loving him, feeling how soft he was, the smell of his skin. She feels all of this. This baby grew into an energetic little boy, bright and curious. One day, her little son was out in the field with his father, and he complained that his head was hurting real bad, so his father sent him home to his mother. When he got home to his mother, he laid down and she had him put his head on her lap. And while he was laying there, he slipped away and died on her lap. And she feels all the pain that a mother and that a parent can feel. Now remember, she never even asked to be a mother. But because her heart was in the right place, she was blessed beyond her wildest imagination. And now it seems that that blessing was snatched away. All of that love built up just to be taken away. It would have been better that she never had a child in the first place, it would seem. But something happens here. Whereas the rest of us possibly would have sank into a deep depression, the Shunammite woman seemed to know something. She knew that God wouldn't bless her with something that she didn't ask for just to take it away. She knew that God had to have something in mind. Or if not, she knew that in whom she trusted and she knew that whatever happened God was still on the throne. So she laid her son's body in the room that she had built for the man of God and went straight to where she heard Elisha was. While she was afar off, the man of God, Elisha, sees her and sends his assistant to ask her what is going on and how she's doing. To ask her, is it well with her? Is it well with her husband? Is it well with the child? 
And with the pain of her son's death still fresh on her heart and in her thoughts, she looks at Gehazi and says, it is well. And they kept going. When she made it to the prophet, she said the same thing. It is well. But Elisha could tell that something was wrong. So he inquired further and found out what really happened. Now, how could she say that it is well while her child lay dead at home? Some of us would have to ask if this woman was completely insane. Some would say that the pain of her son's death caused her to lose her mind and that she was in denial or she was delusional. But to the world, great faith looks like insanity. The world doesn't understand faith, nor does it understand peace beyond all understanding, does it? They say that it's insane. But we need to learn how to say it is well. It may seem crazy when life tries to put the hurt on you to say it is well. But when you get bad news, say it is well. When you get that bad report from the doctor, you say, it is well. When you're having trouble in your relationships, say, it is well. Peace beyond all understanding sounds insane and it's not easy, but that's what I'm trying to have. But Elisha went back to the Shunammite woman's house and in the power of God, he raised that little boy up from the dead. God restored to her what she had lost. God gave it all back to her. Oh, somebody out there give the Lord some praise on today. Hallelujah. He'll give it all back. She got her joy back. You see, when the Shunammite woman gave her answer, it is well, it proved that she was already in the flow of faith in her future, and she knew that it was well, even though she was not sure what was going to happen. We need to be like the Shunammite woman. Some of you might be in the same situation. You have been in the position where you've sought God and received his blessing. A promise grew for a while, but then you have seen it die before your eyes. You were helpless and feel in a worse situation than you did even before you received his promise. Jesus told his disciples many times that he was going to be arrested, falsely accused, tried, and executed, and that he would rise from the dead. He told them it as well even before they knew what he was talking about. He knew when Jesus betrayed him and that they came to arrest him in Gethsemane, that it was well. When they began to mock him and beat him, he knew that it was well. When they pressed that crown of thorns on his head, he knew that it was well. When they nailed him to that cross, he died knowing that it was well. When he walked out of that grave three days later, it was well. Somebody say hallelujah today. Oh, that deserves some praise. It is well. But since I like to consider myself an optimist and since we don't know for certain, I like to think that through her pain and loss, Job's wife 
eventually learned to say, it is well. I like to think that she was right there with him to see God restore all that had been lost. You see, beloved, God only ever ends in it is well. If it is not well at the moment, then you know that that is not God because God only ever ends in it is well. Again, if it is not well at the moment, then you know that it is not over. It is not the end because God only ends in it is well. When things seem at their worst, you can say that you know that this is not the end because God only ends with it is well. We don't have to wait until the battle is over. We can shout now because we know that in the end, we're going to win. When Elisha's servant Gehazi asked the Shunammite woman how it was going, she knew exactly what to say. It is well. When you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you know that it is well. All you have to do is continue to keep your eyes and your mind on him and he will keep you in perfect peace. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have a problem, but you can have the assurance that God is still on the throne. And he said that everything that happens, happens for the good of those that love him. We can have the assurance that he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. Thoughts that we would have a future and a hope. We know that God only ends in it is well. The Shunammite woman believed in what God had done for her. And she believed in him more than she believed in what she saw happening with her eyes. Like Habakkuk 3 and 17 through 18, she said, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation because he only ever ends in it as well. I will bless the Lord at all times, not just the good times, but at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Someone here may be in the middle of a painful situation, a situation that you might not understand, a situation that may be making you ask, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? If there is something trying to steal your peace away, you can say, it is well. The only way that you will be able to say it is well within my soul, though, is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. 
When life's storms try to overtake you, you need to be with the one who can command the wind and the sea. No matter what life throws at you, you'll be able to say, it is well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that no matter what happens in life, we can say that it is well when we give our lives to you. We ask that you would forgive us our sins and for the wrong that we've done. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that he came to earth to die for our sins. We believe that he arose on the third day and we ask him to come into our lives today so that we will be able to say, it is well. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. My brother and my sister, if you prayed that prayer with me and meant it in your heart, you are now saved and you can say, it is well. We praise God that you are now a part of the family and the body of Christ. And we pray that you will find a Bible-believing and Christ-believing church in your area. But we also would love for you to continue this journey with us here at West Angeles. God bless you, and we love you.